The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Tone Factory Recording Studios in Las Vegas, the Craft House Brewery, Moonshot.com, Mr. Antenna, and Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. It's The Fake Show with Jim Tofty. Well, John McPhee has been a solid member of the Doobie Brothers since 1979, but that is only half the story. Before, during, and after, John has been one of the most sought-after studio session musicians in rock and country. He played on Van Morrison's iconic Tupelo Honey album, Steve Miller's Fly Like an Eagle, Huey Lewis in the News sports album, and Elvis Costello's My Aim is True Elvis. Yes, that is John McPhee's lead guitar work on Allison. Now he's busy, of course, with another Doobie Brothers tour, which just stopped here in Las Vegas. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. When you guys are here in Vegas, do you actually have much of a chance to just hang out and play a little bit? Uh, Sometimes we do. You know, it just depends. But, uh, you know, sometimes we have more time than others. That's just how it works out. (laughs) I've talked to guys in Steely Dan, Chicago, the Beach Boys, who've all been at this as long as your band. What is it that keeps you coming back for more? Uh, we don't know any better. Oh, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we uh, you know, we, we, we enjoy playing. And, uh, you know, Vegas is one of the places that, you know, there's plenty of places to perform and it's a good great place to be playing music so that's how it happens and you know john i've lived here since 1990 and i've seen all the changes and all the different places the venues go up but there was a time there was a time of course when it wasn't so cool to play here because it would it had that whole rat pack thing going on yeah yeah there was a a, a kind of a bit of a sort of i guess you can call it a stigma even that it's like hey well that's not that's not for rock and rollers (laughs) something yeah that's that's really changed. I mean, dramatically. You know? Have you kind of looked at your career as a gift that you, you really keep cultivating and not take for granted? Oh my God, are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy that ever lived. Is you know, <laughs> one thing that I you know feel pretty strongly. It's like I'm amazed sometimes, when I, especially getting to be the age I am. Yeah, I, I, when I look back, sometimes I'm like, wow, how did that happen? I'm so lucky I got to play with my band Morris and the Grateful Dead. And, you know, all these different people, Steve Miller, I mean, through the years, and uh, Elvis Costello, just things that happen. And it's, it's uh, n- never mind joining the Duty Brothers and finding such a great musical home, you know, over 40 years ago now with the, the, the Duties. And it's, uh, you know, the people I've gotten to play with, I mean, and, uh, the good fortune I've had with music. It's just, it, believe me, I appreciate it. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I owe it to the listeners to give it my best every step of the way and try to keep learning, you know. Who were your influences uh, when you were growing up? Because especially with the steel pedal guitar, I, I hear a little bit of Buck Owens in your playing. Well, very much. I mean, Buck's band, uh, you know, sometimes I, I grew up listening to country music. My dad was a, a country musician and an oil field worker, and, and what you might call oil field trash from California. <laughs> right. And uh, I grew up like around all of that. And so I, I, one of my jokes is I refer to the Beatles as the British buckaroos. And um, yeah. Yeah. so 
I, uh, yeah, yeah, Tom Brumley and, and, uh, you know, Don Rich and, uh, you know, that's, that whole, you know, uh, style of music. That's my roots. Yeah, and uh, so it, it really is true, isn't it, that where you grow up influences you as not only a player, but a songwriter? Yeah, I think it's inevitable. I and, mean, you know, and uh, like what my, one of my idols, too, was Joe Mathis, who was, uh, you know, multi-instrumental, you know, he played a lot of guitar, but he also played, you, know, you name it, fiddle and banjo, and mandolin and bass and everything. He was known as the King of Strings, and he was a big influence on me when I was growing up. Him and Don Rich from the Buckaroos about, hey, these guys play multiple instruments. Wow, maybe I could be, you know, at least try to be that. And it really made a, uh, an impact on me. Did you just happen to have uh, a few different instruments around the house that, that made that possible for you? Yeah, that's kind of how the environment that I grew up in. My dad started me out on ukulele. You know, as I was learning to walk, pretty much, or, you know, and then and he had, you know, there were instruments around guitar and banjo and you name it. And so yeah, I it was, and it was, you know, that the music I, I just gravitated towards it. It was like this kind of magical wonderland where I could make up my own world, you know. So it was uh, very very attractive to me. <laughs> what was the first band that you played in, and and what kind of music were you playing? Oh my God! Well. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I, 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 like I was saying, I just played the instruments because they were around the house and I just really loved music. So I was doing it all the time. And then other kids knew that, hey, the Mekika, he plays. Well, when the Beatles came out, everybody wanted to have a band. And I yeah. was, I'm of that age bracket, you know, going back. And uh, I was the right age, sort of. And so all this, hey, the Mekika, he already knows how to play. So I, all of a sudden I was, Come up from being a, some sort of an outcast, honestly, <laughs> to like, hey, let's get him in our band. <laughs> and uh, the next thing I know, I was, uh, you know, kind of like sneaking in the back door of rock and roll, courtesy of the Beatles. And uh, my first band, let's see, what we might have been a band. We had a, a band called the Black and Blues. <laughs> uh, nice. You know, just just little bands around Orange County where I was at that time uh, in Southern California growing up. And uh, uh, so one thing led to another. And next thing I know, people, I, you know, I was getting hired for recording sessions and everything. I was like, wow. How old were you when you first kind of had, you know, were making a little bit of money as a session guy? Uh, I was probably about 16 or so when I really started making money and getting hired and by people like Van Morrison and I remember Mike Bloomfield, you know, who was in the Butterfield Blues Band and I I didn't look Yes. Wow, and then somebody turned me on to these guys. Not saying uh, the thanks to the Beatles I started getting exposed to all these other kinds of music and then when the Butterfield band came out and it was like these guys are cool and next thing I know Mike Bloomfield heard me play heard me playing and hired me to play on one of his records and Things like that started happening. It was like kind of blowing my mind. And just, again, I feel so lucky, you know, to uh, all the kind of like serendipity and coincidences that led to, you know, my career. It's like I, I wish I could say I planned it. <laughs> uh, right. And I'm thinking maybe you were young enough that you didn't know well enough to be as nervous as you should have been <laughs> playing with those guys? Thank God you're right about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay, music, you know, 
so I was really more interested. Wow, what, what can I learn here? And what you know, yeah, what, what can we come up with? And so somehow my interest in music carried me through it. And my youth, like you say, I just you know, innocent. Oh, okay. I, I, I oddly was you know, you know, these guys I idolized that all of a sudden I'm playing with. I, I was never really starstruck by it exactly. It was more like, wow, I get to play with this guy. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it was amazing. It's almost like you were part of a second wave of wrecking crew type artists who were in the studio. I, well, that's thank you for saying that. I consider that a great compliment. And uh, it's, you know, I, I guess in a way, sort of, yeah. And when I look back now and I look at my credits, it's like, wow, how did I. How did I get to do all that? And speaking of the record, I even got to play with Glenn Campbell. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. As far as Van Morrison, uh, you played on Tupelo Honey, is that right? That's Yeah, Tupelo Honey album and St. Dominic's to You. So Gosh, yeah. And so, one of my bragging points with the Beauty Brothers is that uh, Tupelo Honey, uh, those albums, band albums were produced by Ted Templeman, and I played on Ted Templeman's first hit record as a producer before he produced the Beauty Brothers with Van Morrison. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, and he, you know, Ted, he seemed to have the magic touch, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Teddy, great producer and really brought some great music to the world. You know, Van Halen, he signed Van Halen and produced him. And, you know, just so many things, great, great things that he did. Didn't Ted play in that band, Harper's Bazaar? He did. Oh, that was one of our, you know, you know, really, let's, 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 irritate Teddy by asking him to sing Feeling Groovy for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like everybody in that band had blonde hair, and it was just very, uh, you know, uplifting and pleasant pop music. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a really good record, but, you know, yeah. Teddy's a talented guy. John, in these days of downloading music, both legally and illegally, it's really harder to get airplay, of course, so does it make playing live even more important to you guys? In a way, I guess, you know, for us, you know, we certainly had our good fortune in being around in in an era when, uh, you know, you're able to sell records and and, and, uh, not have so much, you know, musical theft or whatever you want to call it going on for us. But nowadays, you know, we we just, you know, we, we, we still... We're working on some new uh, recording right now, new music and stuff. But it's been a while since we ever, since we really counted on, well, we'll have a hit record or something like that. Because, you know, nowadays it's like, oh, what does that even mean? So, we, yeah, you know, fortunately we have a following and we can get out there and and still make music and have fun and and people still want to hear us. So it's... uh, we're pretty lucky guys. The Live at the Beacon Theater CD, DVD. Are there just certain venues that you look at and think, hey, this would be a great place to uh, to record this? Yeah, well, th- there are. There, there are places that are known for their, you know, you know acoustics or the, the vibe, <laughs> even, and, yeah. and things like that. And uh, the Beacon was a good choice. It seems like a, a good fit for what we were trying to do and, uh, and to put, pull together all the elements it takes technically also to uh, get that kind of a, a recording and, and video. So that's where we did it. And we're actually, I'm in San Francisco right now. Tomorrow night we're doing another of, of that type of show where we're doing the Toulouse Street and capturing the albums uh, at the Masonic 
in San Francisco, which is another beautiful venue. So yeah, yeah, there there are places that are really good places for that kind of a thing. Yeah, and the the pearl inside the palms is is not too bad of a, a place either. It, it's a well uh, chronicled story. You joined the Doobies in 1979. It seemed they were at the peak of everything at that point. A minute by minute was was just released. So what kind of craziness were you jumping into? And how how did those guys? Was it Ted Templeman and and uh, the rest who got in touch with you and said you want to head out with us? Jeff Baxter's leaving. Uh, it actually was a, a funny coincidence because I'd, I'd be leading up to that. My, I'd for, for a number of years, for a decade or so, I'd been uh, part of a group called Clover, and yeah. that I really believed in. And uh, we we had just moved back from England. We had been in England for a few years, uh, recording and working over there, and we had signed with a British management team and stuff. And they, our record contract had run out. A British record contract and our management team, these two guys, uh, Dave Robinson and Jake Riviere, they were break, having a kind of bitter breakup of their partnership of their management company. So we were in a sort of a legal limbo where we couldn't record, we couldn't tour, we couldn't do anything until that got resolved. And my son had just been born. And anyway, I was, I was friends with some of the guys, particularly Keith Knudsen. And Keith's wife at the time was talking to my wife one day and said, yeah, Jeff's leaving and, and they were going to call John, but he's turned down so many, you know, high profile offers because of his loyalty to Clover that Keith just figured, well, he can, oh, well, I guess I won't bother him. And my wife said, you know what? You might want to have Keith talk to John because things are a little different right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Keith gave me a call and we talked. And so I ended up going down with Keith down to the band's uh, rehearsal place on the coast uh, south of San Francisco at the time, and getting a, just a, playing, playing with the band for a, a while, going through a number of songs, and, and uh, it felt really good to me, and it felt good to them, apparently, because they said, if you want it, you're in. <laughs> and uh, that's how it kind of happened. It, it really wasn't so much to Ted as much as sort of just a great mind coincidence of, you know, Getting the word. John, you mentioned a couple of the names earlier, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd like, before I let you go, I'd like to drop a few names and, and tell me what the experience was like briefly. You played with Steve Miller on Fly Like an Eagle. Yeah, Steve, if, if there's another one, you know, Steve had heard me playing with Clover, and he, he became a fan of Clover. In fact, when we moved to England, he came to our going away party. And uh, anyway, Steve asked me to come in and play on when he was working on that play like an eagle album and it was just one of those lucky things that he heard me playing with clover and liked my style and <laughs> you know and he was he's always been really nice to me and, and you know we, you know see each other you know we still stay in touch a bit you know music and uh he's always been great and you know what a great you know, musical artist he is, and I felt very lucky with that one. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you played lead guitar on Allison, Elvis Costello. What was that situation like? <laughs> well, that was, there's another, you know, talk about the just serendipity. Uh, when we, I was living in England when we made our move over there, um, the management team uh, that I was talking about, uh, Abe Robbins and Jake Riviera, they, they were starting a new record label Records, and one of the first artists they signed was a young lad named Declan McManus, 
And Jake called me up and said, Hey, John, this, you know, how would you guys feel about backing this guy up? He's, 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 I think he's sort of like a new, sort of a Van Morrison type. <laughs> that was where he actually compared him to Van, and he said, I think you guys would be a good fit. He's a fan. He, it turned out he was a Clover fan from our records. At Clover had done some records. We got signed to Fantasy back in the 60s, and we did two albums for the Fantasy label. And it turns out that uh, Elvis was a fan of ours, and so we ended up... You know, said, I said, well, send me a tape. Let's see what this material's like. He said, Jake sent me a tape of just Elvis's raw, by himself, songwriting, uh, demos, whatever. And it, the songs were so good. It was just incredible. He just it blew our minds. He said, oh, yeah, we'll do this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, nice. so Elvis came down to our house. We were running a place out in the country in Hampshire, about 40 miles or so to south of London. It was actually... A, pretty famous place called Headley Grange where Led Zeppelin recorded most of their stuff. So, you know, Stairway to Heaven was recorded in that house. It was built in the 1700s, a big old country estate down in Hampshire. Where, and we rented it because we could all live there and we, it's big enough we could rehearse there, we could do everything and not be in each other's way. It had like 17 fireplaces. <laughs> so so young Deck, Deck McManus came down and we rehearsed three or four songs, and originally they were just going to be a single. We rehearsed the songs, went up to London to a little eight-track studio, cut those. They, Jake and Dave heard them and said, "Wow, we got to, We should do half. Let's do one side of an album with this guy, and the other side with this uh, uh, this artist we signed named Reckless Eric." So Elvis came down, we rehearsed a few more songs, went up to London, recorded those, and Allison was amongst the second batch of songs. Wow. They, when Dave and Jake heard Allison, they said, okay, we have to do a whole album on this guy. So we did one more half-day session. Elvis came down again and heard three or four more songs and went up to London and recorded them. And that's the My Name is True album. And it's basically a live album. I mean, Elvis was singing and playing at the same time. The whole band was playing. And that's very real. And Nick Lowe, who was the producer, didn't allow us to punch in a note. It's all totally real and live. With only a couple of overdubs of background vocals and then dub- doubling a lead vocal or putting a lead vocal harmony, stuff like that. So it's pretty much a live album. I had no idea. And the great thing that you must have loved is that Elvis has such a great feel for country music, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. He's a big time fan. And he's basically like a musicologist. He knows everything about country, but he also knows everything about jazz. He knows. You know, he's a real, you know, student of music in general. And uh, so, yeah, he loved country so much. I mean, I ended up doing an album with him in Nashville produced by Billy Sherrill, who produced George Jones and Tammy Wynette and, you know, famous country producer. He did an album called Almost Blue in Nashville because Elvis was such a country fan that uh, went down and cut the whole album in Nashville. John, I'm, I'm such a big fan and a, a big fan of all the work that you've done over the years. It was an honor to talk to you. And Okay, thank you. Likewise. Good to interview. Thank you. Thanks, John. You know, it's one of those weird things because John McPhee is so loved in the music business by his peers, even though his name is one that most people probably don't know. And that's very much like being a member of the famous Wrecking Crew. Let me add that he has also played with Bill Wyman, Link Ray, 
Emmylou Harris, and yes, Rick James. Well, that finishes off this episode of The Fake Show. I'm Jim Tofty. See you next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. She can't